Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church Newburn Podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky. I am one of your hosts, and I am joined today by our associate pastor, Patrick Ryan. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Paul Scott. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, how are you doing? You're, this is, I feel like it's still new, having you around. Yeah, it, it still feels new. I hope it really continues that way, feeling new for, for a while. Um, I like the newness. I like the honeymoon stage. It, there's a lot of grace in there. But uh, really, I'm getting to... Uh, a, uh, a rhythm of, of weeks and meetings. So uh, we're doing good around here. Ministry is good. Yeah. And so I've, I've been trying to catch up with you for a while, but you've been like teaching classes and stuff. What's yeah. your, what's your week look like? Like what do you, what, what are these um, groups that you have? Yeah. So uh, Wednesday is my big day. Uh, Tuesday is really planning for Wednesday uh, with a life of prayer at 12 o'clock. This is a group of about 20 people who uh, get together uh, to read a book. Uh, right now we're listening, are reading uh, a book called The Listening Life by Adam McHugh. Um, and uh, he has uh, much to say about how uh, we are quick to speak and slow to listen, and we need to uh, work on listening as a spiritual practice. Um, it, it, that's something we can pay attention to for the rest of our life and, and never be pros at so we're having a good time uh, with that reading. Um, and uh, in that hour, too, we practice some silence and contemplation. So it is a great class. Um, if you can't join us uh, in the Owl Room at 12 o'clock for that hour, uh, you can uh, Zoom in, and uh, we'll have you up on the screen, and you can participate that way. Cool. If they want, if people wanted to join that, would they just reach out to you on email? Reach out to me. Email me at uh, pastor at firstpresmb.org. Um, see see me when you uh, when you can. Uh, we'd love for you to be a part. We have a couple extra copies of the Listening Life, the book that we're uh, reading right now, and we're really just getting started on that. So now's a great time to uh, become a part. Cool. Um, and then I'm, I think about. Um I guess, like, where are we with the, in the lectionary? Is that the right word for it? Yeah. What's your sermon? Where and where are we in the everything? Yeah, so uh, we're in First Thessalonians. Actually, this week is the first of a few Sundays this month where we will be in First Thessalonians and maybe Second Thessalonians, too. Uh, so we're starting out with the very first 10 verses of Paul's letter to the Thessalonican church. Um, these are new Christians who are actually starting off in a really impressive way. Um, they're immersed in Greek culture, which is busy um, and uh, follows a bunch of gods. Um, and they are finding out what it is like together to dedicate themselves to one thing. So today, uh, during the sermon, we're talking about uh, dedication um, in our busy world and in our busy life with everything thrown at us from multimedia and social media and just what life is like and what our calendars are like too, what it might be like to turn away from that distracted life and uh, find ourselves by paying attention to one thing. Yeah, I could. I should listen to that. I should really feel that because I am like a workaholic. Yeah. So yeah. taking like even one day to actually not work for me is like a big deal. So it, it's it's a huge struggle, isn't it, for all yeah. of us? Yeah. There's so much being thrown at us all the time. And for any listeners who are new to the church life here, uh, the lectionary is like a is like a three year cycle. 
Yeah, this is a three-year cycle of suggested scripture readings. Every Sunday, there are four passages from different parts of the Bible, from the Old Testament, uh, from the, uh, the Gospel, the New Testament letters, and always something from the Psalms or some other bit of poetry from Scripture. Um, we Many pastors use it as a springboard to figure out what they're going to preach from one Sunday to the next. It's not a must that a preacher follows it, of course, but it's good not to make your way from one Sunday to the next doing what you want to do because we can get stuck in the ruts. Yeah, and then through, after the three years, the idea is that we've kind of covered a big uh, part of the Bible. Right? Yeah, a more complete portion of, of the Bible. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. All right, well, awesome. Great to talk to you today. And um, just a shout out, so if you're listening to this right away, it's Monday, that means there was a Rothermel presentation. Um, the Rothermel Foundation brings uh, scientists and, and uh, all kinds of different uh, speakers uh, they use First Pres as their um, location to do the presentation. It's free, and it does get recorded if the presenter okays it. And this one's about gene editing, which is super interesting. And he did okay to record it. Um, the Rothermel website and YouTube channel are kind of in transition, but um, pretty soon you'll start seeing um, the recordings come up on the YouTube. So if you missed it in real life, you should check it out. It's super cool. Uh, all right, Patrick, have a great week. And everybody, we will talk to you next week. I want to thank Lee Healy for um, leading us, helping us lead in worship this morning. Uh, Lee was uh, co-chair of the APNC, the, the body who brought me here to you. So I am grateful for Lee and all the faithful work she has done and continues to do. And wouldn't you know it, actually you wouldn't know it, this is her first time leading as liturgist. Would you join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for coming close to us in Christ Jesus, for living this life ahead of us, for knowing what it is like to walk through this world. We thank you that he is the living word who has taught us your eternal word. Would you bless our ears, our hearts, our minds to receive again from your eternal word what you have for us now and in this place. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our first word this morning comes from Deuteronomy, which is our favorite book of the Bible, right? Chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. Listen for God's word. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. It was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and, and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, 
that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who maintains covenant loyalty with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And a second word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the first 10 verses. Listen again. God is still speaking to his people. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always give thanks to God for all of you and, and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy from the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For they report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Friends, the word of the Lord. In his book entitled, Dedicated, author Pete Davis describes an all too familiar experience. It's evening and you're searching Netflix or the TV channel lineup for something to watch. So you start scrolling through all the different titles and you might stop at one and watch a bit of it Maybe watch a trailer or two to get a taste of what that program is like. But you just can't commit to watching anything. Then you notice you've been at this scrolling for about 30 minutes. You're still in infinite browsing mode. And having realized this deflates you. And you notice that you're too tired to watch anything now, so you just turn off the TV and you go to bed. <laughs> this signifies something bigger than our TV habits, doesn't it? See, in so many aspects of our lives, we like to keep our options open, 
even if that does us no good. Polish philosopher Zygmunt Bauman helps us out here. He has a great phrase for this reality in our lives. He calls it liquid modernity. Liquid modernity is our increasing unwillingness to commit to any one identity or place or community. And, and so like liquid, we're in a state that can easily adapt to anything because it's difficult to rely upon much of anything. And isn't that true? These days, it's harder for us to count on what's ahead, whether it's a job or a role, an idea or a cause, any group or institution, they can change in, in a moment, or at least it seems that way. So we're in constant preparation mode. But that's a survival mechanism. And survival isn't living. Infinite browsing mode then describes a whole lot more than what we do with our remote controls. It reveals our lack of trust in one thing, and maybe for good reason. But aren't we impressed when we meet someone who has mastered, well, anything? A musical instrument, their three-point shots, an artisan who sells their wares at the mom fest. Whenever we see competence and proficiency, devotion and dedication, we're impressed. So I wonder, friends, I wonder what could change if we stopped browsing and made a deeper commitment to fewer things. These days, diving deep is an expression of defiance. Commitment is countercultural. Choosing less and, and determining to become better at a fewer amount of things, it's gutsy, it's unconventional, it may even be cool. Thessalonica was a bustling city, packed with people living their lives in all sorts of different directions. Thessalonica was also packed with gods and statues of most of them. They were everywhere. Thessalonica, it was a city full of infinite scrollers. There were so many things for them to pay attention to. But these new Christ faithful in Thessalonica, they were doing something different. Together as one church, they sought to practice just one thing. They gathered to worship the one God of creation, to devote themselves to the one who called himself the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one worthy of your greatest attention, Paul tells them. So together, they called themselves church and they practiced life differently than most others. They gave up their old and, and restless life of infinite browsing, which really was just scattered allegiance to way too much. 
and they discovered that that former life really wasn't life at all. Did you know that the word monastic, with its first syllable, mono, means those committed to one thing? A life in search of one thing. See, we can stay in infinite scroll mode if we want. God's not going to get our devotion until we're ready to give it to him. But, but once we see all the things that get in the way of being one with God, once that moment for us happens, friends, God goes to work becoming our all in all. And that's what the church in Thessalonica was discovering. It was all new to them. They had been faithful so far, remarkably so, but there was so much more about their newfound faith for them to get used to. So at the outset of his letter, Paul encourages them. He's quite impressed at how their young faith has carried them and how determined they are to practice living in a community with Christ at the center. But he also knows how quickly faith can fade when the going gets tough. He knows that most with a new faith Expect God to show up and change all the conditions of their lives for the better. But Paul knows that God doesn't work that way. That's not what faith is. That's not how God works. So he encourages them to put their newfound faith to work and to presume that love is a hard-won labor an effort that they make, a choice that they must continue insisting upon, keeping on, keep on choosing one another, Paul says, keep on doing that because God has first chosen you. And as they gave themselves to this new way of life that has its basis in a love that exerts and breaks a sweat, they begin to discover what hope is like, God's hope. God's hope is steadfast, Paul says. It's unfailing, it's unwavering and unending. It endures. It endures not because we have what it takes to endure, to summon up within ourselves an unfailing, unwavering, unending faith. We don't. But God does. In the original language, this whole passage is one huge, marvelous, run-on sentence. It's 241 words. It's one of the longest sentences in all of Scripture. See, this good news is so good that even a comma would disturb the power of Paul's message. It's enough to give every English teacher a coronary. 
but the grammatical abandonment of this run-on sentence, it should be excused by even the most strident of grammar Nazis because its lack of punctuation and its sheer size echoes the gracious abundance of its one subject, God. This single sentence passage is a torrent of God activity that, that refuses to pause or even come up for air. It's an avalanche of blessing that, that gathers size and strength and with every tumbling word, all of it mirroring God's lavish generosity, Paul gives it, uh, the church the message of how gracious God is and what kind of open world we live in now that God can be at the center of it. And right away through this deluge of nouns and verbs and adjectives, the message is clear. God is the single subject of our lives. And he can't wait to show us how to grow into the life that, that he has for us as we respond to the salvation offered to us in Christ Jesus. Because Christ is at work within us as well as far beyond us. And God is not a part of our lives. That's way too small and it's backwards too, Paul says. God is not a part of our lives. We are a part of God's life. And in this salvation life, we do not begin on our own, friends. God has the first move. All of our action is merely a reaction to all that God has done and is doing for us in Christ Jesus, his Son and our Lord. So let's not waste another moment of our time thinking that we're the ones who make any of this happen. Paul is quick to tell the Thessalonians that they are God's accomplishment. And friends, we too are God's accomplishment. Paul's first words to the church in Thessalonica are words of encouragement and praise, but I also suspect that he meant them to be instructive. See, this was Paul's way of teaching these young Jesus followers that the Christ life is really never about the Christian. It's about the Christ. We come to maturity in Christ as we realize that it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. God, this is all of you and none of me. Because the life of faith is not about what we can accomplish, but what God can accomplish in us. We are God's accomplishment. This morning's passage from Deuteronomy helps us out here too. Before the Israelites enter into the promised land where there will be plenty, they will be tempted to think only of what they have accomplished. So Moses reminds them, it's not because of who you are that God has set his heart on you. 
It's because of who God is. We don't choose God. God chooses us. God chooses us always and constantly. And that doesn't make us special. It makes God persistent. See, God desires deep relationship with us. God has always been in committed pursuit of you. And he does that so that you might see him and reach out to him. And what we'll discover is that God is never far from us. We shouldn't look so far away to find what to give ourselves to. So I guess one of my questions to you is, can you be a monastic? Can you be a committer? Can we all find great joy in one thing? Because there is joy to deep engagement, and we will never know that until we stop spreading ourselves so thin. It turns out that sticking to one thing is not confining, but freeing. And when we dare to live our lives for one thing, we will be able to slow down. And by slowing down, we stand a chance of regaining ourselves and being regained by God. Then I wonder what God could accomplish in us. All praises to the one who made it all and finds it beautiful. Alleluia. Amen. Friends, may God go before you to lead you. May God go behind you to protect you. May God go beneath you to support you. May God go beside you to befriend you. And all along this way, do not be afraid. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Alleluia. Amen.